I want to spend some time in uh, Galatians chapter 1. First, I want to introduce something to you here. You probably already know about this, of course, but today is Reformation celebration. So we consider what happened uh, 500 years ago, give or take. And uh, out of the Reformation came these five solas. And I have one slide for you because I'm really good at doing slides. Um, so I have one slide for you. And uh, it's on these five solas. So um, uh, if that could, we could pull that up for us. Uh, five solas here are, the first one is uh, Scripture alone. When we say Scripture alone, Scripture is our final authority. I've, I've listed a few texts for you there, too, that you could write down and check out later. I want to show these to you right now so that as we work through Galatians 1, we can be thinking on these things in particular. The message of the true gospel. Scripture alone as our final authority. There's no pope, no council, no holy tradition, holy tradition. Scriptures alone are final authority. The Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, will add to this the church, the councils, holy tradition. They would say that they are all on par with the scriptures. They'll say that, but that's not what they actually believe. So think about this with me. They're saying that the scriptures, along with the church organization, along with the councils, along with holy tradition, those things are are on par with God's word. If the church and the council and the holy tradition get to give you an authoritative, infallible rendering of a particular text, which one is really over the other? Are they on par? Are they on the same playing field? Uh, do you understand what I'm saying there? If, if you say that the scriptures are on par with tradition, or the church, or the councils, but this tradition here gets to infallibly tell you what the scriptures say here, then the church is your final authority. You believe sola ecclesia, not sola scriptura. So who's our final authority? What is our final authority? The church? The church's official tradition? Or God's word? God's word alone. Sometimes I've heard the Reformation referred to as a kind of back to the Bible kind of movement. You heard that this morning a little bit with Luther. You hear that tonight with Tyndale. Every common person getting to hold the word of God, and read it for themselves. Truly believing that the word of God is clear, understandable, it's knowable, and it's absolutely necessary. Scripture alone. Salvation, then, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We don't add one thing to this. There are no added works Baptism does not save us. Participating in communion does not save us. Confessing to a priest does not save us. Justification is totally a gift. Justification means to be declared righteous. We are justified by grace through faith. We are declared righteous. So what does that mean? We are Our sins are forgiven, okay? There's two parts to this. Justification. 
Our sins are forgiven, but also we're not left morally neutral. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. Our sins are forgiven, and we get Christ's righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, and it's totally a gift. It's totally a gift, a grace through faith in one person, Jesus Christ. So who gets the glory? Who gets the glory in that? If it's faith through one person, and that's all a gift from God, who gets the glory? It's to the glory of God alone. Scripture alone, as our final authority. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. One pastor Mark Dever says, he quotes Luther by saying that Luther called Galatians my book. Because of this, not that he wrote it. Martin Luther did not write this. Martin Luther, he calls this my book because of the impact that it had on his salvation and his ministry, his life. Huge impact. Let's read the first couple of verses here together. Galatians chapter one. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. First couple of verses here, Paul introduced himself. Paul begins to show what's on his mind as he writes the introduction here. He starts to tip his hand a bit, doesn't he? You ever played cards with somebody that tips his hand? Makes for a good day for you. He tips his hand a bit. Um, don't, don't read over these statements really fast, thinking that he just introduction to a letter, just you know, get over that part and just move on. But here, um, he is starting to show what he's going to be talking about in Galatians. Um, also to note, Paul's initial greeting is remarkably brief as compared to the other letters that he writes. Here in Galatians, um, uh, it's a little bit brief. So, with these two things in mind, that we need to be thinking about what Paul is saying to start his letter, and he is writing a brief introduction, we start to see what Paul's going to have in mind as he writes. Paul's authority doesn't come from any man. Do you see that? Paul, an apostle, does not come from any man. It does not come from, through, it does come from men, nor through man, mankind, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father. 
he doesn't usually emphasize his, his apostolic authority. In Philemon, we actually see he kind of does the opposite. There seems to be a little bit of a defensive tone here as Paul starts. And even throughout the first couple of chapters, he, Paul is defending his apostleship. He says, I'm an apostle. Jesus Christ, God the Father. Apparently there are people in the church that were questioning his message and they're, they're, um, they're, uh, uh, they're for um, his, his message, his gospel. They're, they're uh, questioning his message and they're questioning his apostleship. Paul has been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all over. And some people are questioning his legitimacy. Is this guy real? But really, it's not about him. It's not ultimately about him. It's about the gospel. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 16. This is where he's going. Chapter 2, verse 16. We'll start in verse 15 there. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order that to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what's his point there? He says it like eight times. I'm justified by faith and not by works of the law. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at. There's people that are, that are attacking him and saying you're not really an apostle because you have a terrible message and you're just saying it's just by faith. But what about these works of the law? Don't you have to be circumcised? You have to do this and that and the other. Say, no, no. We're justified by faith alone. By grace alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Then, back to chapter 1, verse 2, he mentions that he has other brothers with him. He's saying that his message, the gospel he's been preaching, is actually confirmed by the brothers that are with him. See that in verse 2? And all the brothers with me, he throws that in there, say there's people that are Actually, it's being confirmed by people around me. So, he's no lone ranger here. Let me tell you, if, if, um, as a side note, if you come up with a piece of theology that no one has ever believed or thought of or heard of before, one of two things is happening here. One, God has been waiting for you to step onto the scene historically in order to reveal this great new theological truth. Or number two, you're wrong. So, when we say things like this, so this is going to apply directly to Sola Scriptura, the Scripture alone. When, when we say things like this, we believe in the Scriptures alone as our final authority. We don't mean that we don't check and see what smart people in our age and ages previous have had to say about a particular interpretation of the Scriptures. You may hear the Roman Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodox Church people say, so it's just you and your Bible? Really? You and your Bible and whatever you decide your Bible says in your quiet prayer time is an authoritative rendering of a particular text? Who do you think you are? No, we don't live in a vacuum. We get help from books and pastors and church fathers and friends, other brothers and sisters in Christ. We get help to help us interpret what the scriptures say. See that? And if someone is found to go against the scriptures and to add something to the gospel, well, Paul has some very strong words for that person. We'll see them in a little bit. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with let them be accursed. So, 
After Paul says these things about who he is and who he's with, he greets the church in his somewhat typical fashion and actually a little bit longer here in these two verses. Look here, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the new covenant greeting. Peace is the old covenant greeting. Think shalom, peace, shalom, the peace of God. These things come from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Master, Lord, and Savior, and Messiah, Christ. Grace comes from Christ alone. What is it that this grace, what is this grace that he gives? What is it? Well, look here in verse 4. He gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from what? This present evil age. So do you, do you understand what he's done? Do you really understand what Christ has done? Two things here. He gave himself for our sins, verse 4a, So he died on the cross for our sins. He bore the penalty that was due us. There is a penalty for our sin that is upon us. And Jesus bore that penalty. Do you ever wonder why Jesus sweat drops of blood in agony? Asking the cup to be passed. While the reformers of old are singing hymns of praise in their fire for their death. Ever wonder about that? Jesus is in the garden praying that this cup would pass. When you have the reformers like singing praises to God, I'm ready to go. What is the difference here? Jesus bore the wrath of God. If we place our faith in Christ, we don't bear the wrath of God. Jesus bore the wrath of God. The reformers only had to face the wrath of man. Really? You're going to burn me? That's all you got? Okay. Sounds great. I'm going to sing some songs and read the scriptures while you burn me. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12? Don't fear man who can only kill your body. Fear him who can, who can kill both body and soul in hell. Don't fear man. Fear God. The wrath of God is something we cannot bear. We need a Savior in our place. For without this Savior we would be in hell, burning from the wrath of God for eternity. The sin we have sinned against a holy, eternal, righteous, just God is deserving of full, eternal damnation. Do we see our sin as serious as this? That we deserve hell, but we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Is he your Savior? Have you placed your faith in him alone? Not in any of your works. You've placed it in Christ alone. By faith alone. So first we see that he's given, us, he's given himself for our sins. And secondly we see in the second part there of verse 4. He rescued us from the present evil age. You 
can be rescued from this. If you believe in Christ alone for salvation, you will be rescued. You will be saved from this age. When this age is over, you will receive full salvation and will be rescued in heaven to be with Christ. But also, right now, you can be rescued. You can be rescued from the present evil age. Not only ultimately, but currently. You can submit yourself to Christ right now to be rescued from other masters of this earth. Let him be your master. Don't let sin reign. Don't let sin be your master. Don't obey sin, obey Christ. You will be rescued from living for other masters of this earth. Be freed from letting sin be your master. Be rescued from letting greed be your master. Be rescued from letting popularity be your master. Be rescued from letting sexual sin be your master. Let Christ reign. Let him be your master. Those other things of this earth are not good masters. Heard one pastor say, you've been going hard after money. You've been going hard after sexual things. You've been going hard after these things. How's that going for you? You will not find satisfaction. They are not good masters. Christ Jesus is the only God and wise master. Submit to him. He stands ready to free you. If you would submit, if you would place your faith and trust in him, will you do that now? Will you choose to follow him today? is the day of salvation. By faith alone, in Christ alone. And this, this here, is all according to the will of God our Father. So, who gets the glory? Verse 5, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We don't receive glory. Not our salvation. For Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for by grace, for by grace, You have been saved through faith. And that's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. If if we could work for it, we would have something, we would legitimately have something to to boast about, wouldn't we? Christ did his thing, and I'm kind of doing my thing. We're working together, me and God are working together, and I'm going to be helping save me. I have something to boast about. If it was up to me and God, we could get some glory. Me and God are not working together on this. Here's what he's done, and here's what I've done. It, I've, I've, I've really been a good person. So since I've been a good person, and Jesus died for my sins, and I'm going to add my good person works, then I get heaven? Really? I've participated in mass? Then what? Was it really finished at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. No, we've added these things to the message of the gospel. Don't go there. Don't go there. God gets all the glory. Verses 6 through 9 here, Paul's message is here. Get the gospel right. Get the gospel right. So now, if you, if you were to compare this letter to the other letters that he writes, typically Paul He takes some time for some thanksgiving and to tell his recipients how much he's praying for them and what he's praying for them for. 
You can look and see that at Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, and other ones. But not here. There is no, like, I heard of your great faith. There's no, I can't wait to come and see you. There's no prayer that the Lord would increase in, in their uh, bearing of fruit. None of that here. After he greets them, what does the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle Paul gets right at it with no punches pulled. Verse 6, I am astonished. There's a huge emphasis here. I am astonished that you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I am astonished. If you ever played basketball for very long on any kind of sport, any, any kind of uh, level, you've had a guy in your team who maybe played JV for some time and got in for a little bit in the varsity game and shot at the wrong basket. This is not a personal testimony. <laughs> I've only seen it happen. <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen this happen? I mean, we've seen this in the NBA. I mean, these guys are professionals, and they forgot which basket to go at. And so he gets the ball, and he's wondering why there's nobody guarding him. It's like, wow, I just got in. I'm about to score my first two points as a varsity player, and nobody's going to try and stop me. This is fantastic. And as the ball goes through the hoop <laughs> and the crowd sighs, he realizes that he shot on the wrong basket and just devastated. You know. Well, we're all chuckling. Can't wait to watch the video next day in practice. Shooting at the wrong hoop, what if that same player, what if that player goes onto the court and he decides he's going to take a pass from you on one end of the court and deliberately run down to the other end of the court and score for the other team. Traitor. We would all be on the bench like, what, what just happened? Like, we would be on the bench, dare I say, astonished. You just scored for the other team. I thought you were on our team the whole time. So times that example by like a million. And here we are. Galatians. Paul is like, he's like, uh, hi, I'm Paul, and I'm with people, and, and to the church at Galatia, what are you doing? I am astonished that you would desert so quickly him. He's astonished that they have turned from him. They have turned from Christ. They have turned from the God who has saved him. They have betrayed the one who has called them in the grace of Christ. God has been so gracious to them to call them to himself and they have started to, they've started to by the, by the encouragement of false teachers. They've started to buy into a false gospel, turning to a different gospel. And he's saying, I need you to understand the seriousness of this. Verse seven, now that there is another gospel, he's like, like, it's like, maybe I shouldn't even call it a gospel. It's a different belief system. Not even good news. Now that there's another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some intruders, some traitors, who are intentionally headed towards the wrong basket. They are trying to distort the gospel of Christ. 
Verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one he preached, we preached to you, let him be accursed. Okay, I don't know how much stronger of language he could use here in these two verses. Look at the next verse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if you ever see Paul set something up like that, it's like, pay attention. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There's so much repetition here to, to say, listen up to this. If someone tries to add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if you think it's an angel, even if you have like a, a vision and you think, wow, God just revealed this thing to me, you better compare that with the scriptures. Compare that with the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have received. Even if it's, you think it's an angel, even if it is an angel, nothing trumps the message of the scriptures. Well, I had this vision and, vision and God told me this. Well, if that thing is contrary to the message of the scriptures, it wasn't God that told you. It wasn't one of his angels. Get the gospel right. And Paul's words here are so strong. Let him be accursed. That is, let him enter into eternal destruction. Let him be damned to hell. And he repeats it in verse 9 just to add this emphatically. I'm telling you, if you add to the gospel, you're damned to hell. Just three points of further application as we think about these things. Number one, believe the gospel. Jesus has really died for the sins of the world. He stands ready to forgive you. If you would submit to him and ask for forgiveness, he is ready to forgive you of your sins and give you the righteousness of Christ. Trust in Christ alone. If you have been trusting in your works of being a good person for years and years, you've been, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. No, you're a Christian because Christ has saved you. Do you believe in Christ alone for salvation through faith in him alone? for salvation. Submit to him. Decide today to follow him. If you are here and you're an unbeliever and you're just checking out Christianity, here, this is it. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures. Believe. Submit yourself to him. Secondly, Know the gospel well. Believe the gospel. Know the gospel. Now, you might say, well, I don't need to know the gospel in order to believe in it. Yes, but track with what I'm saying. You know the gospel and believe it, but keep on studying and knowing what the gospel is. Know what the gospel is. Know what the gospel isn't. Further your understanding and your belief system on what the gospel is. Understand how to articulate it very carefully, precisely. Not as if you're a five-year-old when you got saved but as a mature follower of Jesus, get the gospel right. Understand exactly what it is and what it isn't. Know the story of the Bible. Know God's plan to rescue his people. So the first part of this is study the word. Get into the scriptures. Do you, do you spend time reading and studying the scriptures on a regular basis? Do you study theology? Do you read theological books? Is that just for like the 
seminary students and the pastors, they got that covered for me, but do you know the Word of God? Do you know what he's revealed to us? Do you really believe that the Bible is our final authority? Do you really believe that it is from God? If you believe it is from God, what, what do you think you would do with it? Wouldn't you want to know the scriptures more than you know anything else in the entire world because it's from God? You would want to know, you would want to know more about the scriptures than you know about any sports team, any fiction book, any country's constitution. You want to know it more than any occupation? If you're a history teacher, you want to know it more than history. If you're a financial advisor, you want to know it more than financial advising. If you want to know the gospel, the true gospel, study the word. Be in the word. Do you come hungry for the word of God? You come on Sunday mornings hungry for the word of God, ready like, give me the word of God. You want it so bad. You're not ready for stories or whatever, funny things. You want the word of God. Help your kids know the scriptures too. I've said this in a couple of parent meetings, but if, if it's awkward to talk, to the, talk about the scriptures with your teens, you have a really shallow relationship with your teens. You're not discipling them. You're not parenting them. Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit, on your, sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Otherwise, in other words, all the time. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, you should be speaking the truth of God's word over and over and over. Every opportunity we should tell our children about the, God, about, the, about the greatness of our God, about the goodness of our God. Develop habits early of speaking the truths of the scriptures to your kids on a regular basis. But you see there in Deuteronomy, it must first be on our hearts, in my heart. And expect that your, your kid is going to know and understand the gospel because they really can. They, they are made to take on this responsibility at a young age. Teach them the truths of the scripture. Help them to articulate the truth clearly. Maybe, maybe give them some homework this week. Okay? Is it okay to parents to give kids homework? Of course. Write, say, write, I want you to write out the gospel. And next Monday... I'm going to see how you did. We're, we're going to, I want to see that you can articulate the gospel clearly and know what it is and know what it isn't. And then we're going to talk about it. Is that too radical? Encourage them to stand for what is right, no matter what. There was a lady in England. Her name was Lady Jane Grey. I take parts of the story from a Desiring God blog post by Scott Hubbard. Two days before Lady Jane Grey climbs the scaffold, the Catholic chap chaplain, John Freckenham, enters Jane's cell in the Tower of London in hopes of saving her soul, or so he thinks. Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, had already signed her cousin Jane's death warrant. But she sent her 
a seasoned chaplain to see if he could woo Jane back to Rome before her execution. Jane, 17 years old. A charged debate follows. Freckenham, the Catholic apologist, and Jane, the reformed teenager. He presses that justification comes by faith and works. She stands her ground on sola fide, faith alone. He asserts that the Eucharist, the bread and wine that are, uh, are the very body and blood of Christ, she maintains that the elements symbolize Jesus' saving work. People of the Reformation died for communion. As a side note. He affirms that the Catholic Church's authority alongside of Scripture. She insists that the church sits underneath the piercing gaze of God's word. He says to her, I am sure we too shall never meet again. Freckenham finally tells Jane, implying her damnation, but Jane turns the warning back on him. Truth, is, truth it is that we shall never meet again unless God turns your heart. See, Jane was supposed to marry the heir of, king, of the England's throne. Her parents forced her to marry a man she despised. Jane studied Greek and Hebrew so she could study the scriptures on her own in the original languages. 17. Well, Jane is sent to King Henry VIII's court for grooming where she is won to Christ and the true gospel by Queen Catherine Parr. The God of Joseph lives, he says, redeeming people even through conniving relatives and cold jail cells. Lady Jane reluctantly took the throne on June 10th, 1553 and willingly left the throne on June 19th. 1553, when Mary gathered an army to, to depose her cousin queen. So Jane is often remembered by the number, the nine days queen. Mary signed Jane's death warrant that would take her to the scaffold in five days. The morning of February 12th brought Jane to the wall of the central white tower where a small crowd And an executioner awaited her arrival. Turning to the onlookers, Jane announced, I do look to be saved by no other means, but only by the mercy of God in the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. She then knelt and recited Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. Once blindfolded, Jane groped her way to the execution block and laid her head in its groove. The last sound the crowd heard before the axe thudded into the block was a prayer from Jane's 17-year-old voice. Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And so ended the life of Lady Jane Grey the teenage martyr. I want my girls to be like that. Faithful followers of Jesus. If it means their life. Lastly, proclaim the gospel. I want my girls and my sons 
to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news. I want them to give up everything that they have to reach people in difficult parts of the world. Wherever they land, I want them to be proclaiming the truth of the gospel to people. On this Mission Emphasis Sunday, may we pray to God, expressing our willingness to go. May we emphasize the mission with our kids. If we're going to be good at something, it had better be this, making disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're not going to be going, we better be sending. We better be sending to people to England, like the Wilsons. We better be sending Scots, Joanna Green Street in France. We better be sending the kids to Germany. Let's pray to that end. Dear God, may we be people of the word. May we be people who are true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be people who have submitted ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus Christ alone has saved us. His work on the cross has saved us once and for all. Lord, may we be people who study hard the word of God and teach this to our children. And may we be, may we raise up children willing to go. But first, may that be in our hearts. May we be ready to go. Help us, Lord, to not be so attached to our comforts here. May we be willing to go to the ends of the earth if you were to call us. So we ask you, use us however you will. We stand ready to go and we stand ready to send with all that we have for the sake of the gospel around the world. May we live like we believe that. We proclaim this truth through our neighbors right now, to our coworkers, to our friends who are unsaved. May we be faithful to the God who has rescued us from our sins, has rescued us out of this present age. So Lord, give us a love for you and a love for your word that wants to see it proclaimed around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.